Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is Nick Nunziata, and this is the Chud Show. As is the norm, almost universally, Blog Talk Radio took a big fat shit on our, our little production here. I mean, it just urinated dog shit all over our show. I had scheduled the delightful show to be automatically projected to you folks through Twitter and Facebook, warning you of such an event. And for some reason, it made a, a, a big green fart and ruined it for everyone. So as a result, you probably don't even know I'm talking right now. You probably don't even realize I am kicking ass on the airwaves. But that's okay. I'm a professional, and I rebound better than Charles Barkley in his prime. So today we have the uh, the luck and fortune of having Gareth Edwards calling into the show to discuss his film Monsters, uh, which uh, is on on-demand views on iTunes right now and will soon be in theaters. And we're going to be talking to him and having having a go at it. He'll be coming onto the show around 1.15, which is about eight minutes from now. And uh, it's going to be nice. The, I mean, we've we've already reviewed the, the film and, and proclaimed to the high heavens how much we, we care about it. And uh, the guy really is an example of how uh, you can really kind of do it yourself and, and provide uh, the world with a really high-quality production. Uh, I mean, Monsters is a lot of things. Um, it's 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 an art film. It's a it's a it's a monster movie. It's a interesting character drama, and it's a, it's a, it's it's a, a, an admission form for the H.P. Lovecraft fan club. So he'll be calling in in just a little while. I'd love to have a few of you guys call in, but I can't expect that because of how ass backwards and duty crap the. Um, blog talk radio interfaces I pay them for the privilege to have them bend me over and render me senseless in the ass I pay them for this privilege but not for long not if they keep this up crazy bastards so before we get to Mr. Gareth Edwards I will say that today is a glorious day because on iTunes four of our previous podcasts are going to be smashing into the internet we're going to be having the B-Movie podcast. We're going to be having our Cree Master podcast. We're going to have um, the interview with uh, the delightful Jason Schwartzman. And much to your pleasure, on the 5th of this month, Justin and Steve and I spent an hour and 40 minutes rambling like a bunch of assholes. And the results of that have been pared down to a breezy, um, a very breezy 90, or what is it, 69 minutes uh, and that is also going to be available. Uh, topics include Brian Benben. Um, they include uh, the official Knights of the Old Republic modifying tool and so many other delightful things. Steve Murphy, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. What's, what's going on in your neck? I'm so happy that you brought up the, the modifying tool, Fred Tetra's modifying tool. You're happy? I'm very happy. How often do people get to mention that on the air? Probably not enough. I actually looked it up today when I was doing my uh, putting the show together, and I was sad to sad to realize that you were co- completely correct about it. It really exists. 
Yeah. I mean, what, what you, why on earth would I make something like that up? It's a great, it's a great tool. It really is. I cannot believe that thing exists. I can't believe somebody made a, a, a Knights of the Republic modifying tool. I can't believe that two things. Number one, that tool can be used for both games, the first one and the second one, the Sith Lords, and that <clears throat> secondly, that that podcast we did the other night, you were able to whittle down to 69 minutes. That's incredible. I'm not going to lie. It was a, I, I ended up cutting a massive swaths of, of content from it. That is a just great editing job by you then if you were able to call like was it four hours worth it was an hour and 49 minutes I believe wow the time flies yep time flies right up your ass maybe <laughs> oh I really liked your article by the way your uh, first two hours article well done thank you sir yeah. I tried I tried to, to, to do you proud yeah, I was offended though by the, the name of your character Milky was it Milky Wheelchair very insensitive. Well, you should blame his parents, not me. I'm just sharing. I'm just sharing. I'm not, uh, you know. He was visibly, uh, visually appealing, though. He's a good-looking guy. Well, that's not, well the, the image that showed up on the, um, on the image on the, on the article was different from his ultimate appearance. I mean, you saw what he ended up looking like yeah. with, the, uh, with the dreadlocks and the uh, horrible mustache and beard. He had a white. He had a white beard. Nobody should should go. Should be starting their NBA career, looking like a urban Santa, <laughs> which is a great name. You know, though, you, you talked to me like I wasn't here when he was being created. I saw exactly what was going on. Yeah, but I was channeling. I had a muse. I had his. his I had a muse that was <laughs> telling. Muse. What the hell is your muse? It was actually Jason Muse, which was. Both good and bad. That explains the white beard, the cocaine beard. Has has Jason Mewes underachieved or overachieved? Hmm. He's definitely. I would say he's overachieved. I have to agree. I'm glad. I'm glad you. I'm glad you feel the yeah. same way. But I had to think long and hard about that. I had to look. I had to really dig into his filmography and all of his published works in order to get that answer for you. Okay. This pleases me. Yeah. So uh, I'm anxious to see what you're going to be asking Mr. Gareth Edwards about. Ah, so am I. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> Is it just you and I doing this? I, I suppose so, uh, Dr. Chivago. There's no Mr. Renfield Brown anywhere? Um, I guess not. It's going to be a breezy interview. Actually, we should call, we should call Ren. He'll put us on speakerphone again, though. Yeah, that, that that shit doesn't fly at all. We need to get Ren on the show. We should have him call in. Well, we've got about three minutes. So, Ren. Hmm. Call in, Ren. All right, let's see if we if that high tech solution works. <laughs> I'm like beating on the wall and shouting across the way for your your employer to. Call in, employee. Yeah, wait a minute. Did I miss something? Employment. Did the four-year-old get a get a teaching permit? I'm white. Every time, every time I'm on the on the uh, switchboard for um, Blog Talk Radio, I'm so tempted to just end the show immediately and just delete this link for my uh, bookmarks. It's just you and I, isn't it? I mean, Ren can't even bother to call in. I know. If there's no hope for Ren. What hope is there for Gareth Edwards?
Poor guy. I feel sorry for him. He's walking into this. He has no clue what to expect. Actually, he does. He has Clue Gulliger. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, it's funny because I've been I've been reading about monsters because as as uh, it's been on this on demand thing, we've had uh, some of the readers, uh, and Ren is officially with us here. Hello, Ren. Hello, Nick. Hello, Steve. How did my subtle subtle approach to getting your attention work? It worked extremely well. Um, I think you might have cracked some uh, sheetrock on the side of the wall, but it's all right. And I That's I right. called in on the right phone this time. Yeah, I actually cracked cop rock as well, which was probably a good idea. Even though you called in on the right phone, are we still on the speakerphone, it sounds like? Of course not. Why would you be on the speakerphone? I don't, I don't know. It's just a... Call it a hunch. Ren is, as they say, too cool for school. No, but what I was saying is, on uh, on the message boards, I've been I've been uh, listening or reading some of the folks' comments about monsters, having seen it on you know the pay-per-view or whatever you want to call it. Um, and the res- it's, it's really, it's kind of like a, a very broad spectrum of responses to the movie. I think... And I think it's one of those movies that really is dependent on what your expectations are. Because, uh, you know, it's called Monsters, which will imply a lot of monsters. And it's being, you know, there's there's a, a sort of a groundswell of hype that has been using Cloverfield and District 9 as examples of, of the material. But um, how do you sell a movie like this? It kind of defies, it kind of defies pigeonholing. Yeah, it does it a disservice by a... Comparing to those films, yeah. Well, it's it's the the wonderful thing about it is that even with its small budget, it it has a scale to it. Um, it's still an epic film. It's a travelogue of sorts. It visits so many locations, and there are monsters and things like that. So it's hard to sell it as like this tiny little indie groundbreaking movie, like a Primer, for example. But then, yeah, it's, it's also not a Cloverfield. It's like a you know a blockbuster epic. It's it's got a heart and a relationship at its core. So it is a really unique beast. And I guess them trying to split the difference. I don't know how well it's working or you know how people are responding to that. But that's always a tricky situation. I I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, he kind of gets his cake and eats it too in some respects because it's it is a genre movie. But it's also, uh, I mean, this is the kind of movie that if somebody, if I were to tell somebody who wasn't a fan of genre flicks that just liked interesting kind of challenging little, you know, experimental type movies, this fits that bill as well. I mean, it, it works on, you know, you know, either way. Yeah, it's a great character drama. Really is good. Very well acted. Yeah, some of the people are complaining. I didn't realize that the two leads are married, but um, somebody had complained on the message boards that they didn't have chemistry. And uh, I think... These people. I mean, isn't that? I mean, they, they. Isn't that reality? I mean, they just met. They're doing something in a painful time. He doesn't want to be there. She doesn't really want to be there. What do you expect? Julia Roberts movie? Jesus. Yeah. If you're gonna find fault in monsters, it can't be about the chemistry of the two leads. They're playing two, two completely disjointed uh, parts to the to the movie. What the hell? Sons of bitches. Everybody's me want to, you know what it makes me want to do is play snippets of my uh, Breck Eisner interview. You don't have. All right, I believe we, I believe Mr. Edwards is on the phone here. This is Nick Nunziato in the Chud Show. How you doing? Hi, how you doing? Good to speak to you. Yeah, is this Gareth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just handed me the phone over. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Um, Oh, cool. Well, you were on with uh, myself and Steve and Ren, and we were just uh, talking about your movie, and it's it's uh, it's really it's really a cool pleasure to have you on, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. 
So let me, let me start off by saying um, we love the movie. Absolutely love it. Oh, thank you. Um, and my experience with it, had, I, I had started to hear the buzz about it quite a while back, but the only thing I had seen was that snippet uh, that takes place on the boat. Okay. And and from that scene, I really didn't know what I was in store for. And as it turns out, you've created kind of a sneak attack kind of movie where, um, you know, you can go in thinking you're, you're, it's wall-to-wall monster action. But the one thing I was really surprised was how intimate and how artful and how um, how the pacing was, was uh, that in, in the effect of a really kind of uh, a classic movie. And I, I wanted to kind of get your gauge as to... Um, just the, like how, how how the idea first struck, and then how you ended up putting it together into something that's quite 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 uh, a meaty movie that that is is uh it elevates a lot of the the genre staples. Thanks. Um, I mean, I don't know. I've always wanted to make a monster movie. It's like just one of the sort of films that I've always been fascinated by, and and it felt like because my background was visual effects, it felt like a good like entry film to have a crack at if I was ever going to make one. Because I could shoot in a, you know, in real locations, and then just adding the CGI elements in the background and stuff. Um, but I was just trying to look for an idea of, of something that would be a bit different. And and initially, because you know, being low budget and everything, you know, the only thing I could get access to was like video cameras and things. I was my initial premise was I was going to do um, shoot it all on video and do like the day of an alien invasion and just have it all like as if it was found, you know, video camera footage. And as I was working on that idea. Like sort of gloating, like gloating on my friends who also wanted to be, make films, uh, kind of sent me the link to this new trailer that was eventually Cloverfield, and it was like, oh damn, <laughs> okay, I can't do that. Right, think of something else. And and so I was just looking for another take on that kind of movie, and and I was on holiday, and there were these fishermen who were um, pulling uh, something out of the ocean into their boat, and. I kind of was trying on for size every monster idea I possibly could. And so I just imagined this giant dead tentacle thing being pulled onto their boat and how hard that would be to do in the computer, like by cutting around their arms and things. And, and obviously the guys that are pulling the net in from the ocean, they can't see this creature. So they carry on like this is a normal event, you know. And I thought, oh, that's quite interesting. Like what, what kind of world would it be where, you know, a giant dead sea monster or something is, is part of everyday life? And I spent the rest of the time kind of picturing, like during roadblocks, you know, if there was a, a roadblock somewhere, a roadworks, I would picture like an upturned tank as if the aftermath of a battle or something like this and, and started to realize that you could make a monster movie in a sense very cheaply. Um, and the fact that people weren't running and screaming and they were just going about their daily lives. If you said it years after most monster movies normally end, then that would be kind of, that would just add to the realism of the world. And then, and then basically I pitched that idea without any story at all. I pitched that idea to the production company and I showed them some of my previous work and films that I'd done and things, like short films. And they were, they just went for it. And so they said, oh, um, you know, I was so paranoid that they were just kidding and it wasn't going to happen that the producer said, write down a date that you want to start filming and I promise you'll film on that date. Without a paranoia, I picked something just three months away. Um, and annoyingly, he stuck to it. So I had three months to figure out the entire story and the cast and where we were going to film it and everything. And but in a weird way, having a gun at your head like that, I think really motivates you. It kind of. It, um, I probably would still be trying to write it now if, if I hadn't had that kind of deadline. It's surprising, though. Most folks that come from an effects background, especially in the '80s when I really kind of came up, it was all showing off. It was like um, 
It was uh, look at what I can do rather than how I can tie it together. And, and it's almost like uh, the, regardless of, the, of how it came about, the end result is something that is very character-driven, and the effects are, are, are beautiful, but they aren't the focal point. And, and um, that's kind of the antithesis of, 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 of the work of an effects artist making a movie. It's kind of, kind of surprising in that respect, the restraint, and, 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 and not to, even, even when you do show the creatures, it's not big money shots like we're used to seeing in the big summer movies. Yeah, it felt like, um, it felt like, you know, I don't know, I've got a very bad analogy for this, which is um, when you do visual effects for a living, it's, it's like being a gynecologist in that it's like when you, when you see that stuff every day, it just stops turning you on. And it, it's like, so when I got to make a film, it's like the last thing that was going to fascinate me was, was spectacle for the sake of it. Like, um, I kind of like, you know, I, I, I go and watch all the big blockbusters like everybody else and... Like everyone else, one of the things you always walk out of the cinema saying is that, yeah, it looked great, and I loved that sequence where that action thing happened, but I don't know, I just didn't care about the characters, and, and the story was a bit, you know, didn't really grab me, or it was too over the top or something. And so it felt like if we were going to do this, um, it wasn't, I didn't want it to feel like a poor man's Hollywood movie. I actually wanted, it was like, well, you know, if all we're trying to do is imitate a Hollywood film um, with less money, then, then we're not really, we're not really doing justice to, you know, for the potential of what we can do, we should instead we should make the kind of film Hollywood don't want to make. You know, for whatever reason, they, they I think they would find it very hard to spend tens of millions of dollars on a visual effects sequence and not make it this big spectacle. And and so in our film, the idea was to have this crazy stuff going on, but it's always like just reduced to the background and kind of thrown away. And I think weirdly, the more bravely you throw it away, the more believable the world becomes because. It's like even the filmmakers aren't fascinated by this. It's like I love there's a scene in the film where, like one of my favorite bits is when um, they get into a motel and they turn the telly on and, and you, what you see is like a CNN channel of um, the equivalent of kind of War of the Worlds or something, but in night vision. And, and you look at the characters and you expect them to go, oh my God, you know, what's happening? And they just, and they just yawn and pour a glass of water and they ch chat about <laughs> something else. And, it's, and that's how people behave in real life. It's like if you... If you would come in from a day's, you know, whatever, and, and there's the Afghanistan and Iraq on the news, you're not fascinated by it going, oh, my God, look, a tank. Oh, my God, look, a bombing today in, in Baghdad. You're probably chatting about something else and go about your life like you couldn't care less in a way. And, and, and I kind of wanted that. It felt like, it, like Hollywood hadn't done that properly. And so, so we were trying to make that kind of film. And for better or for worse, I know it will annoy a lot of people that we went that route with it, but um, it definitely felt like, you know, that that we should try and do something different. I, I was kind of curious with, uh, you, you say like you only had three months to really sit down and, and grind out the story, but it, it's very obvious with, you know, the characters and, you know, the visual effects, everything, that you have to have a very specific plan, but with how you were adapting to all these extremely real locations, what level of kind of organic growth is there in the script? You know, did, how much did things change to accommodate things you might have found that you didn't expect, or was it was it pretty concrete from the beginning? Yeah, I mean, these when yeah, that's what's funny is when you tell people you didn't have a script, and we didn't. We had I had like a scene by scene description, as like a paragraph for every scene in the film. When you tell people you didn't have a script, they, 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 some people misunderstand and think you didn't have a story. And it's like we had the story. So I had the, I hate terms like this, they sound really pretentious, but we had the character arcs all worked out. So we had all the beats of 
the emotional journey that the characters go through and how that, and for me, I was trying to find, you know, whether you like it or not, if you've got a male and female lead at the heart of your film, even if nothing ever happens between them, you're kind of dealing with a love story. And and so it was important to me to try and, like, there's only, I don't like love stories. I don't really like those sort of films. And there's a few that I do think are great, like Lost in Translation and Eternal Sunshine and things like that. And so for me, I was really trying to emulate that, that approach to a, a relationship in a, in a film. And but set it in this kind of crazy road movie sort of thing. And and so so we had all these things worked out, all the beats of the characters, but what we didn't have was it's specifically this environment when that scene happens, and it's specifically these lines of dialogue with these people. It was kind of like we would drive around in a van, there was only about six of us, and we would, we would see something really interesting. We would pick a scene that we were going to film there, and we would either talk about it or we wouldn't talk about it, we'd just shoot, and... And then, you know, we got very opportunistic and sort of tried to stay very open-minded about it all. And, like, my, my other bad analogy for this is, is it's like um, it's like the way a film's normally made is, is you draw a target on the wall or you paint a target on the wall, and that's your script. And then you stand back with a gun, which is like your camera, and you shoot to try and get a bullseye. Well, the way we did this film is we shot first. So we just shot anywhere, wherever it landed, a bullet hole was made, and then we went up to it and painted a target over the top. So it looked like we were really lucky. But in fact, we just shot the hell out of the entire journey. And then obviously using, sitting in the edit and using the digital effects, we could manipulate everything to, um, to kind of go back to the story that we originally tried to, were trying to tell. And um, so it was a lot of, it was just such an open-minded, I've learned through doing a lot of visual effects, that you get your best stuff creatively when you come completely open-minded to it, when you sit there and say, I'm going to do exactly this shot, looking exactly like this, when you get to the end of the process, you think, oh, why does that look a bit rubbish? And when you look at people's work, who's really good, and you think, well, how did you get that? It's so great. And you realize that they weren't being specific about, about the details. They were just playing with shapes and, and lights and darks and colors, and they were just... Then some shapes would just look more interesting than others, and then they suddenly decide what the shapes were later. And it, it was like that with the, the whole film, where it's like let's just let's just kind of see what becomes interesting to us when we're there, and and then and then we'll figure out like what how it fits into the movie a bit later down the line. But there were so many scenes that are in the film that weren't actually part of the original story, but um, but yeah, they just kind of they seem it seems really lucky, but. It's like there was actually 100 hours of footage that we shot, and our first cut of the film was four and a half hours, and the final film obviously is 90 minutes, pretty much. And so there was so much stuff that I thought was good that we you know, never, ever made the cut. That, um, yeah, it was just, it was kind of like, I don't think there's this golden moment that happens when you're sitting in your bedroom before you ever meet the actors or go to a location where you write a story. I think you can equally write a story as you're holding the camera right in front of the actors in the environment you're filming. I think, you know, it's like the idea of like, that's the cutoff point. We write it, now we go film it. It was kind of like we were conceiving the film the entire time, all until, until the very end of editing sort of thing. And, and I like that because it just, it just becomes a better film than you can possibly picture when you start the process. If that makes any sense whatsoever, I don't know. It, it does. If it came down to the wire that much, you were still able to put out a, a really, really good character film. And it's one that, absolutely is able to bridge the uh, you know the genre gaps people who don't even like science fiction should be able to love this film because of the characters and their 
interaction with each other, and you know, then all of a sudden it becomes a monster film. It's really wonderfully done. But I want to ask you one thing, actually, about the music. With John Hopkins' score, you had yeah. been extremely pleased when you first heard that. It's a wonderful score. Yeah, John. John is like I, I was introduced to John as um, okay. Let me like because basically we we edited the film and we and we you steal when you edit you steal from soundtracks from other films and stuff. And we um, we whacked them all in, and and I I was in love with the soundtracks that were in the in the rough cut of the movie, and it was like how are we ever going to find someone that is going to be able to top this, you know, um, or even equal it? And um, our music supervisor um, who works at the company that that financed the film was was like I got this guy that I've been wanting to work with for ages. He is a genius, and and so we showed him the film, and um, and I was sort of nervous, and honestly, it was it was just. It's 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 such a rare thing that you work with someone, and you don't have to tell them what to do. They just do it, and they get it right, and it's brilliant. And I think John did that with the score on this film. It was like he had such a narrow window. He had this little gap in his. He really wanted to do the film, and it was he had this little gap where he could do it. It was just a few weeks, and and um, you know, I I I actually through having to look back through the old version of the film the other day. Um, I listened to the previous score, and it's—I don't want to say what it was, cause it, but it's a—it's a—it's a brilliant score that was very famous, and and I actually prefer what John did. I think, um, yeah, the guy—the um, guy is really talented, and it's just everything he did had had emotion to it, and that was the most important thing. It was—it makes you feel something when you hear it. It's, um, yeah, it was nice and quiet and subdued. It worked—it worked wonderfully. It really did. Yeah, I well, believe I mean, he's releasing yeah, it on iTunes. I think so. I can't wait. Yeah, I was hoping. I mean, I went out and bought some of his stuff on iTunes because of the movie. And, cool. And and, and 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 the good thing is, it does, it's, it there's a, there's a kinship between the work that, in his albums and what's in the movie, but it's also quite unique. And uh, now I kind of want to recreate that experience, and I'm glad he's putting it out there. Um, the thing that's interesting is the way that you worded the way that the film was put together. It kind of kills that entire argument. Um, about CG in some respects, you know, the, it's been it's been an ongoing battle, is you know the the practical versus CG, and and is it a crutch, you know, and and all this kind of stuff, and obviously, uh, the, in the past ten ten years, it's changed drastically. We've seen so many examples of it being done invisibly and done really well, but um, the, coming from that background, it really is good to see you in the way you kind of. Um, you know, it, the, use the art form. It, 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 there's no really right way to make a movie in some respects. There's, there's a lot of right ways to make a movie. And uh, it's really interesting the way that you put yours together because um, it just seems like uh, the CG is just another tool. It's just, it's just another piece of the puzzle. And, uh, and I kind of want to get a grasp as to, because there, I knew virtually nothing about you coming into this. So um, what's, what's, uh, like what's your sensibility is, is there is there a, a project or is there a style or is there is there a story that you feel you have to tell moving forward? Because this obviously is is the first of, uh, of of hopefully many. I kind of want to get where you're going. Um, I don't know. yeah. I mean, I do. I kind of wanted to let, like let this one play out before I totally nailed exactly what the next one. If I got a chance to do it, if I was lucky enough to do another film, what that would exactly be. But um, cause I, wanted, I wanted to learn from this experience and, and, and apply, you know, better approach next time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I was trying to, I was trying to think of this as, like, what is it? Because I, obviously I want to do, you know, the, you know, the kind of amazing career to emulate 
would be, you know, people like Kubrick and Spielberg in that they, they pick different genres all the time and, 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 and so like I don't want to get stuck in doing science fiction all my life or anything like that, but, um, but that would be my genre of choice is that, um, I grew up loving science fiction, etc. and, and, and I think the one thing that I hope is there's one word that all films, if I ever lucky enough to make more than one film, then all the films I ever did, the one word I think that would tie them all together, I just, I just love them all to be epic. Like I think it's the role of cinema to create an epic experience and, and if you're not making something epic then you might as well work in TV sort of thing. It's, it's like, for me film should be this cinematic kind of, that, you know, the hairs on the back of your neck should go up and you should get goosebumps at a certain point in the film and, and you just feel really like sucked in, in, into having like this dreamlike experience and, and so I want to do films that are emotionally connect to people in that I think CGI for the sake of it I think the spectacle is over I feel like there was you know Jurassic Park came out or whatever it was like Abyss or Terminator 2 or wherever you feel it began and, and it and then there was this list that Hollywood was racing through of like okay we'll do the first um, sort of uh, bad weather movie in CGI okay we'll do the first dragon movie in CGI okay we'll do the first um, ancient battle in CGI and it's like they're going all the way through this list and, and I feel like We've come to the end of the list now, and so, and I kind of like the idea that that you can't, you know, there's a, it's, it's a terrible thing to say, but there's occasionally films from Hollywood coming out that are all about spectacle, and, and they're not doing too well at the box office, and and I kind of think that's an important lesson, which is you can't just, it doesn't work anymore to say this will be the first time you've ever seen X, you know, um, it's it's now I think I'd like to go back through that list if you know but now do it in a way where we actually care about the people and the story's engaging and we're not so distracted by the fact that we can do something for the first time. I mean, the irony is, is, is Jurassic Park that started all this had a line in it which is uh, just because you could doesn't mean you should or whatever. And it feels like that is true of CGI. Like, just because you can do things in the computer doesn't mean you have to. And, and it feels like uh, the best films get the balance right, they understand what what computers do really well and what, what is better to be done in front of the camera. And my golden simple rule would be shoot everything for real. You know, just shoot everything for real. Obviously with monsters, you know, the creatures, we couldn't use the real aliens that are in Mexico because they're only two stories high and in our film they're supposed to be three stories. So we had to CGI them. But, um, but pretty much like... I was trying to shoot everything for real the whole time, and it was, and it was only when we couldn't that um, you'd have to stick it in, in the computer. Um, so I think it's just about, and I think more and more filmmakers, you know, your Neil Blomkamp's, etc., uh, have have been have this, like CGI is a new route into filmmaking, and and I think those filmmakers are going to be better equipped to to get that balance correct. And and strangely, you know, I just don't think from the way me and friends talk that work in visual effects industry. Um, they're just not obsessed with it. There's, I, I just, there's no part of me that gets excited about the fur on a on a you know a werewolf's back or something. The way that it's some software's been written, it's just I just find all that stuff pointless. Like missing the whole point of the movie. It's um, it should be about did I was was I excited? Was I put sucked into a world? You know, did I you know did it engage me? You know. Well, there's a reason John still works. I mean, you know. <laughs> Yeah. For sure. But you know, it's, yeah. But the 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 reason I'd ask is because um, 
it's a very ripe time for filmmakers uh, that have imagination and that use, use the tech the right way with all the geek properties and with all the stuff that's going on. We have a really rich group of people working in film right now that are diverse and interesting, and you're a part of that now. And it's kind of like there's... You're kind of you're kind of carrying the fantasies of a lot of the community now. Like you're going to be one of those guys whose name pops up in the dream, dream cast. You know, like who's going to do X project? Here's who we'd like to do, and and you've kind of entered that pantheon now. And and uh, you know, I, just speaking from that perspective, you know, you now you now have kind of a, a target of uh, uh, on you in terms of uh, <laughs> you know what uh, what people are going to be expecting and, and, and wanting of you and. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how how active you are, or how how you've grown up with the internet and the community and the and the rabid fan bases that go to Comic Con and stuff like that. But uh, I mean, I get, I get a movie like Monsters is is perfect for that for that crowd. And I think you kind of wear the geek badge, whether you, whether you embody it or not. You know. Sure. Kind of, no, I'm a geek. You're in that guy. world now. You can't make a uh, movie and not be part geek. <laughs> Yeah, I know, but the cool thing was is like you know because originally people had said okay, monsters, let's pigeonhole it. It's Cloverfield meets yeah. uh, District Nine, and it's and it's so not. It's so yeah. not that, and um, and and uh, and and honestly, I mean, you're talking about the the, the we already have Matt Reeves and, and Blomkamp out there, and it's good that you represent a completely different kind of palette. Um, so I, I just kind of wanted to see if there was like your if there was like something that you were ankling for because you know you hear you hear. You know, like Peter Jackson, obviously, had talked endlessly about King Kong, and there's this, you know, and, and Cameron had talked about Avatar. I'm anxious to see what your what your big baby is going to be down the line. But uh, as of now, you don't have anything uh, anything that's uh, public yet coming up. There's, there's a, I'm just trying to develop a, a film um, when I get my, you know, spare moments in between publicizing uh, Monsters and that. Uh, I was very lucky in that um, uh, Timur uh the Russian filmmaker who's doing... Mm-hmm. Um, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, um, with Tim Burton and that. He's, he's, he was really a supporter of Monsters. He really liked it. And he basically is financing me to develop my next film. So we, essentially we can keep it kind of control over it, basically, and, and, and get it going as a film that, that you know, I really want to make. And, and so that's an idea. The, the film that I wanted, that if, you know, hopefully we get it off the ground, it's a science fiction film. And it's an idea that I've had for a long, long time, and I've probably, I actually thought I was going to have to save it till the end of my career, but, um, because it's quite ambitious, and, and, like, maybe it will be the end of my career after I make it, but it's, um, <laughs> it's kind of, I figure, like, you know, what, you're only young once, sort of thing, and, and I should go for it, and, uh, so I'm going to try and do that next, if we can, and it's, um, it's, I can't really go into it, but the, the tagline that we've released is, um, very vague on purpose, which is something like, um, an epic human story set in a futuristic world without humanity. So it can only really mean a few things. And uh, yeah, it's 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 important to me to get it right. It's like if if you can't get the script right, then it's like you shouldn't go and make it, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I've, um, it's been floating around in my head for like at least a decade. This film. So I'm really the idea of actually going to try and film it is is, is pretty pretty cool. Well. Uh, I can't wait to hear more about it. I mean, and and uh, I think uh, you know the story behind Monsters, how it was made, uh, is is very inspiring. And uh, I know that a lot of people that read Chud.com and a bunch of sites like us uh, are are that's 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 a, that's a huge uh, catalyst. I think to see to see folks that are, are able to do it on their own on the sly uh, with not 
the resources of a giant major studio. So I appreciate that uh, that you're able to kind of come through there and, and be an example and make such a good movie. I, you know, it's, it's great to have you out there, and uh, I appreciate the t the time that you've given us. And and any time down the line you want to, you know, you want you want a place to uh, to to speak it up, man. You know, we're we're here for you. Sure. No, I appreciate it. It's like all this support is, is amazing. It's I kind of feel as well as the technology and the filmmaking approach wasn't possible a few years ago without all this internet um, community sort of supporting this film like ours like we would not have had this kind of exposure a few years ago and so it kind of works both ways I'm like I'm really grateful to people like yourself who are, who are pushing the film um, like it doesn't go unnoticed and if there's anything I can ever do in the future to return the favor then I will it's, um, I'm really grateful alright well I, I, I appreciate your time man and looking forward to seeing it on the big screen again Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Gary. Take Thanks. care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, he's good. At least he's willing to talk about his work. It's great. It's really great they're a filmmaker to go on and on about his stuff. I love it. it gives you a lot of... Yeah, obviously he, he knew what he wanted to do. And yeah, no, and, and that's a really interesting... It's a really interesting way of doing it, I mean, because... Can you imagine a hundred hours of footage on a movie like that? I mean, you know, and the ability—imagine having the ability, you know, because most, you know, obviously, if you were to if you were to take that approach to you know a studio, they'd shit on you. They'd be like, "Are you kidding me?" But the, because of his technical, you know, savvy, he's able to shoot stuff and know just subconsciously how to implement an effect, how to make it work, and then actually executing it rather than trying to convey that to uh, another artist because that's typically where the disconnect forms, you know, like in, in the process. Like eventually, like a filmmaker, even the best of them, you know, the ones that, that we worship, there's a point where they have to hand the material, off, the material off to somebody. And the difference between it being really effective and really, uh, and really beautiful sometimes depends on how, much, how many hours they're allowed to use their effects budget on. You know, like if, 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 if uh, they're not able to execute their vision Oftentimes, you know, they have a budget, and if they don't, if it's not done on budget, they have to either settle for whatever quality or whatever level of of, of uh, execution they get, or have to, you know, get more money, which obviously changes, you know, either sacrifice someplace else, or the film becomes bigger and more bloated and harder to make money and justify those decisions. So it's cool to know that there's guys out there that are able to not only come up with the stuff and see a way to, to, to put the film together as they're making it, but also actually pull it off. Because, I mean, the effects in the movie are fantastic, but they're, I mean, uh, can you imagine looking at going through 100 hours of footage and trying to find ways to implement that kind of stuff? No, not at all. But, you know, it, it turned out great. So it's a real testament to him and his editor. And, 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 and obviously a testament to how amazing tentacles are just in any context. That's true. It's always true. What a splendid gentleman. You you know that if uh, if if he had grown up maybe if like if he had made one life decision differently over the course of his youth he very well may have made a movie that when the tentacles showed up they entered a schoolgirl <laughs> I mean that's that's something to consider I mean like just one little vocational choice or maybe maybe walking home from school instead of taking the bus and bumping into a dark alley and getting you know treated a rude disservice, all of a sudden a, a, a glorious, luxurious monster movie becomes 
the fortification of a girl's inner chamber. <laughs> I mean, it's a possibility. I know how I would go. I mean, I certainly would have made a classy movie. If I had the exact resources and skills that Mr. Edwards has, my movie would have... Uh, <clears throat> there would have been different fluids, to say that. I'm reminded of that uh, terrible sequence, or I think I'm, I'm not a big fan, but I know you like it more, but uh, in Benjamin Button, where we montage through all the events that lead to... Uh, Kate Blanchett's lower half being obliterated and all those Spoiler. small key little moments. <laughs> what What do you mean her lower parts being obliterated? Well, the, the, when the... the uh, now, I guess now it is a spoiler if you still haven't seen Benjamin Button, but uh, when uh, the little montage where it shows every little event and people missing their alarms and breaking up with their boyfriends that leads to the uh, the unfortunate car wreck. I don't remember that. I mean, I've seen the movie like three times. She gets destroyed? She doesn't get destroyed. She just gets uh, ruined a little. <laughs> I don't think ruined and a little really kind of fit together. <laughs> That's a good pickup line. Baby, I want to ruin you a little tonight. <laughs> So that's 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 cool. I mean, I, I, so what what you're saying? So what would have happened? Like if if somebody with different sensibilities, maybe her lower anatomy. would Yeah, have been maybe seen. he had uh, you know gotten hit by a car, or just seen a different movie, or you know been taken into an alley, like you said. Any of those little he, things. In now his here, life. here's a good example. If I if I were Martin Brest, I think he did meet Joe Black, didn't he? Oh God! I think man. he did. If I were he and had the resource available, the cars that rammed Brad Pitt twice off screen, there would have been a third car. And it would have hit him and he would have gone into space. <laughs> and the rest of the, the, the extensively long film would have been just Brad Pitt coasting through space. <laughs> just having, having, having doubts about his choices in life. Probably would have been a better movie, actually. I, I would have uh, seen that. Be like two thousand, the end of two thousand one. Except Brad Pitt. Uh, let, let, let's let's not, no let's not mince words. Yeah. It would have been much better than two thousand and one. Indeed. I mean, we're talking about a guy getting car accident into space. <laughs> he glances over his shoulder at Claire Forlani. She glances at him. Cars send them away. It was Martin <laughs> Brest that directed that movie. Um, I think I think it's I think I think it's a it's an interesting. Oh, what did he follow it up with? Gili. Yep. There we there we go. Yeah, but if you if you look at his resume, he did Going in Style, which is a kind of a good little movie if I remember <laughs> right. It's an Art Carney joint. Let me double check because I'm a I'm a huge Art Carney apologist. There he is. Yep. Art Carney. He started with Art Carney, and then he did he did uh, Beverly Hills Cop, which is a masterpiece. You know, in, in its own little world, he did Midnight Run, which is a master is a masterpiece in its own little world. Then things started to go south. Sniffing a chick, he did that, and then he did Meet Joe Black. And then he did Gigli. Then he left. And then he got car accidented into bad movie land. Yeah, he's in. He's not in director jail. He's in like director Midnight Express, and uh, somebody found some cocaine on him in the cell because he's getting. He's getting Jake Busey all around. 
It's not a good time to be Mr. Martin Bress, although he's quite talented. Quite talented. I love that guy. And as a matter of fact, I think uh, if you look at his resume, I think Micho Black, which is which is okay, Gili, which is not great. It's not it's not it's not like a the catchphrase for bad like some people treat it. And Son of a Woman, which I'm not a huge fan of. It's not horrible, but Midnight Run, Beverly Hills Cop, and working with Art Carney, that should be enough to get you out of director jail. That should be like two get out of jail free cards. <laughs> that, that's my take. Well, maybe and then we cut away, we cut away and, and a meteor narrowly misses Brad Pitt in the third act, and that's like the big action sequence. <laughs> but the thing is, even in space, I mean, he's going slow, the meteor's going slow. It's kind of like Mission to Mars. It's not that exciting. Or Martin Breast. And then, and then <laughs> Forlani ends up with um, Jake Weber's character. And uh, she he, she looks through a telescope, and she says, "Did I just see that guy I had a crush on? Did I? Am I is my mind playing tricks on me?" She looks back in the telescope, nothing there. It's just another example of of, of how love can be fleeting at times. It's pretty good, pretty good. I should actually I should get to work on the old screenplay. It's never too late. It's never too late to to rewrite Meet Joe Black. Resurrect uh, Martin Brust's career. Take care of his, yeah. Well, I mean, if nothing else, I mean, I think that, I think it's safe to say the guy's got a future in porn. Why do we always sure. talk about Martin Brest? <laughs> I'm getting tired of it. We run out of things to talk about. No, we didn't run out of things to talk about, but tell me what's better than talking about that. I mean, there's a reason that, uh, you know, there's a re- reason why, why Don Rickles goes back to his material about the war. Really? Yeah, I mean, he he said all he needs to say, but he still finds new new ways to tell it. Well, there's something else we could talk about. It's just 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 recently uh, hit the newswire. Let's hear it. Extremely important Ghostwriter Two news. <laughs> Is okay. Yes, uh, everybody's favorite Christoph Lambert might be in it. How about that? Oh, yeah? I'm surprised you're letting. I, I don't think she even let him buy a ticket to see it. That's how bad that bitch is. It's great stuff you're talking about. He is a fucking nightmare. He can bring his laugh. <laughs> <laughs> He's already here. We don't even need him here to have his laugh. We don't. We really don't need Christopher Lambert anywhere. Well, he might I know be Micah. In- Micah is a huge supporter of him, and 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 it's his job to raise up to uh, the the defense of Christopher Lambert. But Christopher Lambert is a colossal piece of of hate in in man form. I don't I kinda want to talk about Martin Brest again. Christopher Lambert. He hasn't been good ever. He fucked up a Mario Puzo movie, for God's sakes. He was, what are you talking about? He was, he was great in Highlander 3. What was the subtitle of that one? The uh, Sickening? The Sorcerer. I think it was The Sorcerer. You didn't even know. I spent a long time since I've seen it. I remember uh, Van Peebles was in it, I believe. Quickening is uh, number two. The second one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. That's why I that's said the final dimension. Highlander yeah, it's also called the dimension. sorcerer. Is the sorcerer? Oh, that England, that was one with Mario Van problems. <laughs> so Highlander Endgame. That was thousand. You know what's funny is I've only seen Highlander one, and I still hate the entire franchise. Highlander. I don't even like the first one. 
It's a shit franchise. Really? It, you know what it is? Great TV show. Timely. Timely. You know, Highlander, the Highlander franchise is the Hardys of film franchises. <laughs> it's crap. It makes you fat. <laughs> your heart, your heart takes First a, of all, a giant blood shit. It's the worst thing that's happened. It is not the Hardys. <laughs> it's not the Hardys of <laughs> movie franchises. You're Hardy. right. It's the church's chicken of, of the movie franchise world. What would the Arby's of film franchises be? The Arby's would probably be Resident Evil. Really? They make good Jamocha shakes. They also make me throw out. <laughs> How about we take some calls from some of our listeners? <laughs> you act like anybody even knows we're here. <laughs> I just broke some extremely important Ghost Rider 2 news, and no one's listening. I got some extremely important Ghost Rider 2 news, too. If you work in the film business and are a stuntman, find a way to kill everyone that's making that movie. Oops, I, I tripped over my motorcycle and killed everybody in the movie. <laughs> You, you want Nick Cage dead? Well, I mean, if you know, if you, you got to break a few apples to make some eggs. That's I'm pretty sure that's the phrase. But then, how will we get? How will we get any more follow-ups to uh, the National Vampire's Kiss Treasure? <laughs> oh, uh, what what the hell is that? God. Are those movies cool? Called? By the way, the the Ghost Rider franchise, <laughs> amazing. At the end, when it's all said and done, and this is this is probably a sad fact, the Ghost Rider movies will have been seen by more people than the Hellboys Hellboy series. That's unfortunate. That chills me to the bone. How about uh, the Highlander franchise? I've got Ghost Rider doubt all up in my marrow right now. <laughs> what, Steve? How about the Highlander franchise? More Nobody people have seen that than uh, the Hellboy films. I don't think so. Oh, extremely so. I know, it makes me sad. How many of, of the Highlander movies is Lambert in? You don't even know. Three, four, I think he's in five of them. I think he's in five. Did he get How about the franchise if Christopher Lambert turns it down? I know he was in the one with the... Uh, he was in the, the one with Adrian down. Paul. No, he was in Endgame with Adrian Paul. That was four. Did he, he get his head cut off ever in the franchise? Yeah, Agent Paul lops it off at the end of Endgame, and uh, his essence you know, quickens into Agent Paul. The last shot is his, his, his decapitated head on the ground and the Hardy's hat sliding off it. Yeah, I don't think he was. I don't think he was in it anymore because he couldn't have been because he had his head taken away. Has that ever stopped anybody in any film? Yes. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they die in the movie, but in 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 the uh, in genre films. You're always you're always capable of coming back. Well, yeah. I mean, like think about it. Like, if you're popular enough, they'll find a way to write you back in. <clears throat> like, for example, in the se- sequel to Breakdown, J.T. Walsh, they cut they cut to the truck on his face, and he, he pushes it away and says, "Ow!" And then they take <laughs> him and they, and they rub some 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 salve on it, and he's fine. It's like I'm still a murderer. Still going to kidnap Kathleen Quinlan at every opportunity. Could they bring a Jennifer Jason Lee back from the Hitcher? Absolutely. Actually, they brought her back. She was in two different movies. Flesh and, now, flesh and bone. Now tell me, here, here's another. Here, 
Here's another situation where I don't think a movie is based on reality. J.T. Walsh has Kathleen Quinlan tied up in the back of his truck. Her clothes remain on the whole time. Now, I don't care if I've got a sweaty Kurt Russell after me. i got to break a piece off. Yeah, but you're not chivalrous like he is. I don't think chivalry was in his... I don't even think he knew how to spell it. He's a truck driver. Truck drivers are... They're the salt of the earth. Or in his case, they're the sexual assault of the earth. At least if I was him. I would have sexually assaulted Captain Quinlan just, you know, not even when the cameras were rolling. How is she these days? She's, you know, I saw her somewhat recently in a film, and, you know, she's, uh... She's somewhere between MILF and GILF at this point. Really? She's skirting the edge. But, but you watch her in the doors. You need to change your, your shoes, your pants, your underwear, your hat, <laughs> everything. <laughs> That's anyway. a lot of wardrobe changing. Ren, what was the first movie you saw nudity in when you were a young gentleman? Do you remember the first movie I saw nudity in? Yeah, it was the first time you saw a naked bra traipsing around on a... On a um, let's see. Let's see how old we Probably... I think it was on home video. The American Pie? It, was, uh, <laughs> it wasn't one of your family's home videos. It was. It was... Uh, <laughs> Family reunion? I think we had a, a box of VHSs left over from a yard sale or something or that we had bought for like $2 that had a bunch of them in it. And it had a movie called uh, Two Moon Junction in it. Oh, oh you win. <laughs> Sarah Lynn Fenn masterpiece. You win. Yeah, but he wins. But, you know, let's, let's think about that for a minute. That film was what, 91, 90? 88. You would have seen it. 88. So you would have seen that probably about 97. It doesn't matter. That's a good initiation. It's better than whatever I saw first. What did you say? It's not as good as mine. I've got everybody beat. I don't. Re- I think the first, like, I think Excalibur I saw in the theater, I think that was the first time I saw sex happening. And it was 1980. What about you, sir? Hot Dog the Movie. I saw it on, uh, <laughs> saw it on, <laughs> saw it on HBO back in, like, 85, I think it was, or 86. So it was one of your home movies. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs>